Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, an author and professor. His name is Richard Weikart. He published a book in 2016 titled Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. Excellent book. Read through it. And it clarified a lot of things for me that I wasn't really sure about. And the reason why I reached out to him is because on Twitter, I came across a handle. A guy said, Hitler hated Christ. And he's had all these battles. There's a lot of people who are sympathetic to national socialism that he's arguing with. But during these uh, inter exchanges, he's mentioning Richard Weikart's book. So I reached out to him. And I've also had a, he mentions another book who I've had as a guest, whose author I've had as a guest, and that's Hitler's Monsters by Eric Kurlander. So he mentions that book in this book. But Professor Weikart teaches history at California State University Stanislaus. He recently completed a documentary project titled Exploring the Re Reformation and Revivals in Germany, which is available on YouTube. And he has published six books. Uh, there's one back in 2002 titled The Myth of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is Theology Evangelical. Also in 2004, From Hitler, Darwin to Hitler, Evolutionary Ethics, Eugenics, and Racism in Germany. Then also Hitler's Ethic, The Nazi Pursuit of Evolutionary Progress, published 2009. Also, The Death of Humanity and the Case for Life, 2016. And then just this year, in February 2022, he published Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism's, Darwinism Influenced Hitler, Nazism, and White Nationalism. But again, we're going to talk about this book here today. That title is Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. And it's, it, there also is an audiobook. So, Richard, can you uh, talk about your academic career and what led up to you writing Hitler's Religion? Yeah, well, in, when, I was in, when I was in graduate school, I really wasn't that interested in doing any kind of historical studies, at least in detail, about Hitler. Of course, in general, I studied about him in, in just in general historical reading and such. But I thought it was kind of an overworked field, and I was more interested in the 19th century, late 19th century. And my dissertation was about the uh, the uh, acceptance or reception of Darwinism by German socialists in the late 19th century. But as I investigated that, I started noticing that there were some Darwinists who were trying to use Darwinism to oppose the Judeo-Christian sanctity of life ethic, thus leading into uh, the euthanasia movement and other things like that. And that piqued my interest a little bit. And so I started investigating that and trying to find out how evolutionary ethics was being used to undermine Judeo-Christian ethics. And as I began investigating that, I started finding out that these people who were promoting evolutionary ethics were very tightly tied into uh, the eugenics movement, which was the movement to try to improve human heredity, uh, the euthanasia movement as it was getting going initially in the 1890s and early 1900s. And I started noticing a lot of similarities to Nazi ideology. And so even though when I first began the investigations, I wasn't even thinking about Nazism, the more I got into it, I started realizing these really are precursors of Nazi ideology. Uh, and so that led into my uh, book in 2004 that came out, which was called From Darwin to Hitler, Evolutionary Ethics, Eugenics, and Racism in Germany. And so after I did that study, I became more interested in sort of following up by showing how this 
uh, influenced Hitler's ideology in a greater detail. My first book just had one chapter on Hitler. Most of it was about late 19th century thinkers of various sort. Uh, and so I started studying Hitler's ideology and looking at how social Darwinism and evolutionary ethics impacted Hitler's ideology. Uh, and so that got me really in depth into studying Hitler. Uh, and I've been interested in religion for a long time. And so uh, as I started learning about how many uh, atheists and agnostics were claiming that Hitler was a Catholic and Hitler was a Christian, and there just seemed to be so much misinformation out there about Hitler's uh, and so, so much uh, controversy, too about Hitler's religious views that I decided to tackle that one head on and to try to look at, find, try to find out what Hitler's religious views were. I was already investigating his, his uh, ideology in, in depth anyway, so I sort of carried on that research project simultaneous with the one just investigating the social Darwinism and evolutionary ethics and the ways that that impacted Hitler. Right, and I mean, the way that you, I, I love, love the way that you laid out the book because it's a series of questions. It's like the questions that I've heard, just like you mentioned, what do the atheists say? What do these agnostics say? What? Who was Hitler? He really is an enigma in a lot of ways. But I think you dis dispel a lot of that enigma by his words and what he thought and how he kind of came up. I mean, the first thing you ask is like, what is his... What is what is he really thinking? What what influenced his religion? Right. Like there's philosophers that influenced him, too. Right. Sure. And, you know, this is one of the things Hitler in terms of his religion, Hitler wanted to be misunderstood, so to speak. I mean, he he in Mein Kampf, he wrote in one passage about how it was a mistake politically. Uh, to attack Christianity. And so he, he didn't want people to really know where he stood uh, religiously because he thought it served a political purpose uh, to keep that in the background, especially since his own views were in, at variance with most Germans uh, who at least had some kind of nominal affiliation with Christianity. Uh, well, he, is, he also, by the way, nominally was affiliated with Christianity, but that's only because in Germany and as well as Austria, where he grew up, uh, you're automatically a member of whatever church you are baptized in and confirmed in, uh, unless you go down to the city hall and withdraw from that uh, church organization or whatever. So Hitler was officially a Catholic, and he remained officially a Catholic till the day he died. Uh, just like many other Germans, uh, there were a lot of other, in fact, atheists and agnostics who themselves just didn't bother to deregister with the churches, uh, just like Hitler didn't. But Hitler didn't do it for political purposes. He was trying to maintain uh, a a a sort of a persona with the people uh, that didn't offend them on religious grounds. Uh, and so that's sort of where he's trying to stand. And so when I looked in the book, I tried to focus on the different questions that people have. Was Hitler an atheist? Was Hitler a Christian? You know, where did he stand on these particular issues? And what I came up, the closest that I could come to, and again, Hitler uh, tries to be uh, something of a chameleon in this respect. He tries to sort of play to his audience a lot of times, which makes it a little more difficult to ferret this out. But if you look at his private statements, and we have, for instance, uh, the uh, various uh, diaries of Rosenberg and Goebbels and other people that tell us what Hitler was telling them. Again, Hitler might have been a chameleon with them too. We got to take that into account. But we also know what he spoke in private in his monologues. We also know uh, what he wrote in Mein Kampf and what he wrote uh, in his speeches. And when you put all of that together, it does seem that the closest religious position that Hitler comes down on is pantheism, the view that nature is God, uh, not that 
there is a uh, a theist, a theistic, uh, rather a uh, that there is a personal God or anything like that. This is the sort of impersonal pantheistic uh, God that he puts forward. Nature is God. And, and that played into Hitler's ideology very interestingly because he thought that the laws of nature then were the uh, laws of ethics. And so he thought the most ethical thing you could do was to try to conform to the laws of nature. And one of the laws of nature that was central to his worldview was the Darwinian struggle for existence, that different uh, species are struggling against each other. And when you look within species, that different races were in struggle and competition. And so that was going to reinforce his racist views, which were central to his worldview. Right. And so he he had that kind of view. He did not any he didn't have a personal kind of God like a Christian or a Protestant would have. It was something to do with nature. Like you write in your book, you love to be outdoors. You spend a lot of time in nature and studying this kind of Darwinian selection view. And that that you think was central to his religious outlook. Right. Sure. And if you look carefully at the way that he talks about God. So, for example, in Mein Kampf, in Mein Kampf, he uses, you know, he talks about God. He uses God language. But if you look, interestingly, there's a particular passage, in fact, that a lot of people like to uh, pull out of Mein Kampf to claim, look, Hitler must have been a Christian because he talks about how in fighting the Jews, uh, he is doing the Lord's work. That's not quite a quote, but that's almost a quotation from Mein Kampf. That by fighting against the Jews, I am doing the Lord's work, Hitler said. And people pull that out and say, see, look, you know, he's drawing on these Christian motifs and believes in God and such. But if you look at the context of that particular passage, uh, he talks about nature and nature's laws immediately before and after this. And so it's clear that really what he's talking about is when he's talking about doing the Lord's work, he's talking about doing nature's work. Uh, and he identifies those two things. I again, if you read the passage carefully. Uh, so again, Hitler in this particular passage then identifies God and nature. And this is not the only place. This is not an isolated example. There's many, many times when Hitler uh, identifies God with nature and shows that he thinks they're really one and the same. Right. And also, and, he, and beyond that, and beyond that, by the way, too, there's also many, many places where in private, Hitler was extremely harshly critical of Christianity uh, and uh, believed it was completely unreasonable, illogical uh, that, uh, beliefs about Christianity. Uh, and so it's very clear, too, that Hitler was very anti-Christian in his personal religious outlook. Although he did early on in his career quote, uh, you know, scripture or Bible and had positive. So pu his public image was much different than his private. private yes, and if, that's right. And if you look in some of his speeches, again, there's a couple places that especially atheists and agnostics like to play upon in 1826. He gives a speech where he uh, talks about Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He uses that terminology, my Lord and Savior and such. But it's interesting, if you look at the context of those speeches that he was giving, he was often responding to people in the Bavarian People's Party, which was a Catholic party uh, and he's trying to sort of woo people to say look I'm just as Christian as they are that's kind of the way he's putting this uh, about but if you look at his statements publicly after he came to power in 1830 excuse me in 1933 
He never makes those kinds of pro-Christian statements. Once he was in power, he didn't need to. And there's a very interesting thing that I discovered as I was uh, investigating this book uh, that also reinforces my point. And that is, in 1932, Hitler's private uh, photographer, uh, Heinrich Hoffmann, published a book of photos of Hitler. And I have the photo of this, by the way, in my book, both photos, because there were two photos that I'm going to talk about here. The photo that he published in 1932 shows Hitler coming out of a church building. And right above Hitler's head is this white, brilliant cross that gives sort of a halo effect to Hitler. And the caption to the, uh, to the uh, uh, photo says... Uh, that Hitler, the supposed heretic, you know, coming out of this church. And so the idea is that he's not really a heretic. You know, he's really a, a real Christian and he's coming out of church. So you get the idea, OK, he's probably coming out of a church service. OK, so several years later, Heinrich Hoffmann republished that book of photographs. And in this case, the photo was altered. And I know the photo was altered because I wrote to the archives in Munich that have Heinrich Hoffmann's photos. And the archivists told me that they not only have the original photos, they have the original negatives to the photos. And so they could go back and look at the negatives. And they did for me. And they told me that the original was the 1932 photo that had that cross above him. I've also talked to some other phot photographic experts since that time who have verified that, that the second photo that was published several years later had the cross airbrushed out of the photo so that there's no cross over Hitler. He's walking out of the uh, church, and now the caption is changed also. The caption to the new photo without the cross says, Hitler after sightseeing in the historic church. And so it's to make everyone recognize, oh, he wasn't going to a church service. He was just looking at the architecture, you know, of the building and such. So they took that cross out. It's pretty clear that Hitler had to have had something to do with that airbrushing out of the photo. I mean, Hitler and Hoffman were very close friends. Uh, they were working together constantly. This didn't happen without Hitler's knowledge. Uh, but in any case, it, was, it just shows that he's trying to distance himself from Christianity more uh, after he came to power because he no longer needed the support of the so-called Christian public. Right. And there's no evidence of him really religiously attending church or mass. There's him attending like pagan style funerals or something and ignoring mass. So yeah. in his actions, yeah, he, he wasn't. Uh, that's correct. You know. He didn't attend mass. The only masses he attended after his confirmation that we know of are a couple of funeral masses for public figures. Uh, he did attend the baptism of uh, one of his colleagues. Uh, but other than that, he did not attend any religious services. Uh, and in fact, uh, after he came back from a funeral mass, uh, he had some very snide comments that he made to Goebbels that Goebbels records in his diary about Christianity uh, and uh, what he had just uh, observed there. Right. And to him, in a lot of these guys, Christianity was Jewish, right? So that was kind of a negative aspect of the the whole color of Christianity for him. So to label yeah. Hitler a Christian. Yeah, Hitler, as well as a lot of it, and, you know, Hitler didn't really have many original ideas. He, most of the ideas that he had were taken from other anti-Semitic thinkers and other racial thinkers before him. Uh, but the, a lot of anti-Semites before Hitler and Hitler himself believed that 
uh, Jesus was not a Jew, or at least half Jew at most. He was mostly, mostly Aryan. Uh, and so they saw Jesus as being an Aryan, but they saw Christianity as being fundamentally Jewish. And the reason for that is because the Old Testament obviously is Jewish, so they thought that you needed to get rid of that completely. But they also thought that Paul, as a Jewish rabbi, had snuck all these Jewish ideas into Christianity from the very start. And so they basically wanted to eliminate all of the Pauline epistles, essentially, as well as a lot of other parts of the New Testament uh, as well. And when Hitler looked at Jesus... He thought that Jesus was an Aryan fighter who was fighting against the Jews. And Hitler's favorite Bible story was Jesus cleansing the temple, taking a whip into the temple to drive out what Hitler saw as the money-grubbing Jews uh, that were in the temple. Uh, this is his picture of Jesus. So he has this idealized picture of Jesus as this Aryan who's opposed to the Jews, but he sees Christianity as fundamentally Jewish. Right. And you have a picture of him in their early political career with a whip. He liked to carry that whip around. So kind of a yeah. potent symbol. Yeah, Hitler himself carried that whip. And I'm not sure if Hitler uh, was trying to uh, do that to emulate Jesus, but I think there may have been that, uh, at least in the back of his mind, thinking that that whip was sort of making him sort of on par with what Jesus was doing in driving out the Jews. And they all, these, a lot of these Nazi leaders, not just Hitler, but they all had designs against the church that they couldn't, they were waiting for the right time to try to diminish the power of the churches in Germany. Is that correct? That's correct that most of the Nazi leaders did. Now, there were a few Nazi leaders that did still identify as Christian, and Hitler was fine with that as long as they agreed with everything else in his ideology. Hitler did not demand that his followers abandon Christianity. However, if you look at the people in his close circle, uh, Himmler in 1936 led his SS men to leave the churches and declare themselves to be Gottgläubig, uh, which just meant believers in God, just sort of a generic belief in God instead of being part of the Catholic Church or part of the Protestant Church. Himmler had grown up Catholic, by the way. Uh, and if you look at others, Goebbels and Heydrich and others were intensely uh, anti-Christian uh, and were constantly making negative comments about Christianity, in, especially in private, not as much publicly. Uh, and so there was a lot of uh, people in Hitler's entourage uh, who were very anti-Christian and very outspokenly so, at least privately. Rosenberg, who was also very close to Hitler, who Hitler considered one of the leading uh, intellectual architects of uh, Nazi ideology, uh, was pushing neo-paganism. Uh, but that was a contested position within the Nazi period, too. When I, I have a chapter in the book on was Hitler a, a, a neo-pagan? Uh, and actually, Hitler behind Rosenberg's back, criticized neo-paganism and Rosenberg's position uh, in relation to that. So within the Nazi uh, entourage, there was actually a, a variety of religious positions. Most of it was anti-Christian, but there were some that leaned toward neo-pagan. Himmler was neo-pagan also and tried to institute all sorts of neo-pagan rites and ceremonies into the SS uh, and such. Uh, but Hitler uh, took more of the Goebbels and Heydrich position, which was uh, to reject that altogether, too. And I have in my book, I also discuss the issue of uh, the occult, too, because that's another issue that comes up all the time in relation to uh, Hitler. Was Hitler into the occult? A lot of people think, oh, yeah, he was an occultist. And, and uh, now Himmler was. Uh, and uh, others in Hitler's entourage, like Hess, 
were. Hess was very involved in reading horoscopes and in that kind of occultism. Uh, Hitler was, though, very opposed to occultism. And when, when Hess fled to England to try to broker a deal with the British, which Hitler declared that Hess had gone mad, and Hitler said the reason that he'd gone mad was because of his uh, horoscopes and his involvement in the occult. And so Hitler told Himmler to round up all the astrologers in Germany, and they threw them in concentration camps. So that's Hitler's answer to astrology and uh, the occult. I mean, they, they, I mean, some people considered that it was the Hess action, right? So it was considered like they were getting rid of kind of the riffraff when they did that, yeah. But um, so then it got like what – then Hitler had this kind of – you talk about panentheism, pantheism. Mm -hmm. He had yeah. some kind of – weird pantheistic outlook right isn't that your kind of view yeah i i use it to, the pantheism is the term i use mostly in the book which is means that nature is god there's another view uh that is shared that's not quite as familiar to most people or some people don't even know what pantheism is either but there's a there's a position known as panentheism that actually might be closer to hitler's actual view but again not as many people are familiar with that term panentheism is a term that was that has been used to describe some of the German romantics of the 1790s. And basically the panentheist view is a view that nature is God, but that God also is, uh, has some kind of existence beyond nature as well. Uh, so nature is part of God, but not all of God. I guess that's how you could say the panentheist position. And that actually might be closer to Hitler's position. But again, Hitler was a little cagey in laying out his own position exactly. So pantheism or panentheism, I think, are the two positions that come closest uh, to what he was putting forward. But I'm not even sure he was coherent himself completely. Uh, but again, I think those are the closest we can come to identifying his religious position. Can you also, like, there were philosophers that definitely influenced him. He read them, Nietzsche, Schopenhauer. Can you talk, uh, talk about them and, and their influence upon his thinking? Sure. Uh, Hitler did read quite voluminously, not just uh, the press, which he did read quite a bit, but he also read uh, books. And uh, his favorite philosopher was Schopenhauer. Uh, who was an atheistic philosopher. Uh, and Schopenhauer was specifically uh, uh, focused on the will as sort of the supreme thing in life and in the universe. I uh, thought there's this cosmic will. And this is where Hitler is going to get his notion of will. And by the way, Nietzsche was heavily influenced by uh, Schopenhauer as well uh, in his pushing, his pushing for his ideas about the will to power. And so uh, even though Hitler... Uh, uh, really adored Schopenhauer. Uh, he also was later going to read some of Nietzsche, and he also liked Nietzsche, and he actually contributed money to the Nietzsche archives uh, and such. And uh, there was a, a famous uh, photograph of Hitler at the Nietzsche archives across from a bust of Nietzsche. I have that photo in my book. Uh, again, because Hitler was wanting to be identified with Nietzsche to some degree as the death of God philosopher. Again, Hitler didn't necessarily agree with Nietzsche 100% on everything, but he certainly did uh, agree with his anti-Christian outlook uh, and his uh, focus on the the necessary necessary use of the will and will to power. And of course, Hitler was very focused on willpower. And he thought that it was his willpower that was really overcoming everything and you know bringing him to power and and uh, uh, 
and uh, increasing his power uh, as time went on. So these were just two philosophers. There were a lot of other, again, Hitler was not a, an original thinker, he, but he, was, he drew from a wide variety of thinkers, many of them anti-Semitic and racial thinkers of the late 19th century. Houston Stuart Chamberlain is another one that's mentioned very often as being a heavy influence on Hitler. Uh, Chamberlain was a, a racial uh, thinker. But again, Hitler didn't bring, didn't imbibe everything that Chamberlain uh, believed. He sort of pulled from each of these philosophers the things that he liked. In fact, there's actually a very interesting a section of Mein Kampf where Hitler talks about how to read a book. And in that section on how to read a book, Hitler basically says the way you read a book is you basically take out the things that agree with what you want, <laughs> what you want and like, and leave the re leave the rest. Uh, so Hitler basically did that with his reading. You know, the things that sort of confirmed it's sort of what some people call confirmation bias, right? You take out the things that confirm what you believe, and then just ignore the other parts of those things. And that's what Hitler did when he read Nietzsche or Schopenhauer or any of these philosophers, racial things whatever. He took the parts that he liked, that he thought resonated with him, uh, and just ignored the other parts that uh, didn't really uh, fit into his worldview. And I thought it was interesting in your book, you have this little thing where his secretary caught Hitler quoting from Schopenhauer, but not attributing the quote to Schopenhauer. I thought that was pretty clever. So he probably yeah, is doing that a lot now. Yeah, Hitler very often uh, would quote from various people, but he hardly ever attributed. And even when he's not quoting directly, Hitler a lot of times was pulling ideas from other people, but he very often did not attribute them. And I think there's uh, actually a political reason for that, that Hitler was wanting was not wanting to uh, attribute to other people ideas. He wanted people to think that these were his ideas that were being spawned from his brains uh, and such, and that he was the intellect behind all of this. Uh, and again, I think part of it was just that there was a lot of these ideas were being uh, promoted in lots of different venues, too. It wasn't just like, I mean, Hitler would read Nietzsche, but of course, there were a lot of other people who were promoting Nietzsche's thoughts, too, during that time. And Hitler was reading a lot of them, too. So Hitler was reading a lot of different things. He wasn't just reading one person and trying to promote just one kind of point of view. On the other hand, he did, of course, say that he uh, thought highly of Schopenhauer, and and he did at various times mention Nietzsche's name and Kant and others and, and paid some respect to them. But usually when he's promoting various ideas, uh, whether it be eugenics or racism or, you know, the will to power or anything like that. A lot of times he just spins out the ideas and doesn't say where he got the ideas from. Right. No reference. And there was another important figure, kind of like a Darwinist, was Ernst Haeckel. Can you talk about him and his influence? Yeah, Ernst Haeckel was the leading Darwinist in Germany. He was one of the earliest to promote Darwinism in Germany in the 1860s and 70s and thereafter. Uh, he was dead by the time the Nazis came to power, uh, but he was honored by the Nazis in many different respects. Uh, and I talk about this in my book. There's been uh, a professor at University of Chicago, Bob Richards, who's disputed that Haeckel was uh, influential on the Nazis, but uh, his position really isn't tenable, especially as I... I pretty much refuted in Hitler's religion. Uh, but Haeckel believed that because of the Darwinian struggle for existence and because of the evolutionary process, that there was a wide divergence between races. In fact, Haeckel was so racist, even more racist than Darwin. Darwin was racist too. And in my newest book, Darwinian Racism, which just came out this year, I talk about Darwin's, I have one chapter on Darwin's racism. Darwin was racist. He believed there was a wide divergence in intellectual capacities between different races. But Darwin believed that all of the races were still part of one species. Ernst Haeckel, the German Darwinist, 
did not even believe that humans were part of one species. He said that humans were divided into 10 different species, and he even divided those 10 species into four separate genera. So he really was a splitter uh, in, the hu- things, in thinking about humans, and thus very intensely racist. These racial ideas were going to have a big impact, not just on Hitler, but on the whole German uh, intellectual milieu uh, coming up to Hitler. And it and anthropology in Germany in the early 20th century was imbued with Heckel's uh, evolutionary uh, kind of racism. And uh, again, many different individuals. And again, I detail a lot of this in my earlier book, From Darwin to Hitler, where I talk about Heckel and some of the early anthropologists and such who were embracing these uh, racist ideas. Uh, but these ideas had a profound impact, again, not just on Hitler, but on German society in general, uh, and made people believe that, that, ev- that racism was scientific. I mean, that was the basic idea that was being promoted at the time. Racism is scientific. And by the way, it wasn't just in Germany. In the United States, the same idea was being promoted too. Although by the 1920s and 30s in the United States, there were significant figures who were beginning to push back against that idea. Whereas in Germany, it was still being promoted gung-ho, in part because the Nazis came to power in 1933. And that was kind of Hitler's religion too. Part of it was his justification for his actions were based upon science, right? Science at that yes. time. Sure, and because he's a pantheist and he thinks nature's laws are what, what rules, then and he believes nature's laws are God's laws, essentially, right? Because nature is God. So, yeah, he thinks the Darwinian struggle for existence is nature's law, and so he thinks that by conducting his racist purges, his, his, the Holocaust, the killing of people in his euthanasia program with disabilities. He thinks by doing all of those things that he is helping nature along. He thinks he's helping nature to cull out those that are uh, weak and sickly and uh, the unfit, as they're called in Darwinian terms, and thus allowing the better ones to continue to reproduce. Thus, he thought that he was improving the human species. So he thinks that all of his actions are taken on the basis of improving humanity, making a better biological species out of humans. Right. It's incredible. So this whole notion, like you mentioned, the Untermenschen and the Ubermensch is from philosophy. Do you feel, I kind of get the sense that maybe the Darwinism and the philosophy intertwined. Do you ever get that Do you have that position or what are your thoughts on these terms kind of being bandied about in National Socialism? Sure. I think, yeah, like I, like I said before, I think Hitler was drawing on a wide variety of ideas. And that's why in one of the chapters, I uh, detail all, a lot of different philosophers and thinkers and anti-Semites that led up to Hitler's thinking. Because, yes, I think he was drawing on a wide variety of people. And uh, the term Übermensch was a term that Nietzsche was bandying about, as the, some people translate that as overman. Uh, I don't know if Nietzsche used the term Untermensch. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember. Uh, but uh, that would be the flip side, of course, of the Übermensch. The Übermensch, Untermensch is the exact opposite. Übermensch is overman, Untermensch is un- underman, or we would say the subhuman is how we would uh, translate it typically. Uh, so yeah, those ideas were being pulled from Nietzsche, from other philosophers. Hitler was drawing on a wide variety of thinkers and putting together his worldview. And can you, do you mind talking a little bit about your new book that came out in February, Darwinian Racism? I mean, we've covered a little bit of the topics, but what could people expect as you bring in white nationalism? So do you see correlation between Hitler's thinking and Nazism and things that are happening today? Around the world? 
Okay, yeah, in this new book uh, called uh, Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism Influenced Hitler, Nazism, and White Nationalism, I spend the first chapter talking about Darwin and his racist views, but then most of the book is looking at how the Nazis were using uh, Darwinism to promote their racist ideas during the time of the Third Reich. The last chapter, however, is on white nationalists today, and many of them are overtly drawing on Nazi ideology. Some of them consider themselves neo-Nazis uh, and such. So many of them are drawing very forthrightly on Hitler's ideology, so it's not surprising that they're drawing on the Darwinian fund that he had. However, uh, in my studies of white nationalism, I looked at a lot of their websites and publications, uh, and it's not very difficult to find many, many websites and publications put out in the last 10 years by white nationalists that promote Darwin and claim that Darwin's views are the basis for their racism. In fact, uh, if you remember the uh, mass shooting that took place earlier this year in Buffalo uh, by a white nationalist, if you read his manifesto, which I did, in his manifesto, he states clearly that Darwinism is the basis for his racism because in, in Darwinism, uh, organisms diversify. So you get variation and that variation takes place within species. And so this particular white nationalist, as well as many other white nationalists, claim that evolution is the way that these races have diverged uh, and that this shows then Darwinism, thus they think, proves that racism is a correct and accurate uh, view. Uh, and so this is not an unusual uh, out. This is not this view of Darwinian racism is a view that is reemerging. Thankfully, my view is that white nationalism is still a fringe movement. I mean, I don't think it's gained traction uh, nationally and hopefully it's on the decline. Uh, but still, uh, white nationalists still do rely very heavily on Darwinian themes. And again, this this uh, shooter in Buffalo is not the only one. In 2019, there was a shooting at the uh, Gilroy Garlic Festival here in California. Uh, and that uh, white nationalist, uh, after uh, just before he shot up the Gilroy Garlic Festival, posted to his social media that everyone ought to read the book called Might is Right uh, by uh, Ragnar Redbeard. And that's a book that was written in the 1890s, but it's, it's reemerged very popularly since the 1970s. Actually, the, uh, the writer of the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey, popularized uh, Ragnar Redbeard's work, Might is Right. Uh, and it's become very popular within white nationalist circles uh, today. Uh, and so he said to read that. Uh, and if you read the book, the subtitle is Survival of the Fittest. And the Darwinian themes are just woven throughout the book. Now, there's also a lot of Nietzschean themes. It's not just Darwinism. It's also Nietzsche. There's other things in it. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, social Darwinism is a very prominent theme within that book. And this book is, by the way, being uh, peddled on white nationalist websites, either selling it or there's actually PDFs available of it on white nationalist websites. Uh, so the Darwinian theme is very prominent within white nationalism today as well. Right, and that's Hitler. Comp is struggle. It's a We're all in a struggle. You can't get. That's Hitler's speeches. That was the theme I was reading through in your book. Nobody, you can't give up the struggle. Anybody who gives up the struggle dies. Like it's just all there, and it it's still around. These ideas are still around, even in white nationalism. It's amazing. But yeah. uh, professor, we are at about the forty-five minute mark. Is there anything? There's an audio version of this book too. Is there anything you'd like to add, or anything I missed before we wrap this up? 
No, I think you hit most of the points there. And, and you know, again, it's frightening that there are still some people believing this things. Again, I hope they're on the decline. It seemed like there was a little bit of an upsurge maybe five to six, eight years ago. I'm hoping that we're declining now. I don't know that's the case, but I'm hopeful that that's happening. Uh, but, uh, yeah, these ideas still, are, unfortunately, are resonating with a small fringe of people who uh, want to follow in Nazis' ways and, and racially divide the country and see people as racially superior and racially inferior. Right. Yeah, it's a dangerous, dangerous worldview. I think yeah. this book shows that. Where's the best place for people to get Hitler's religion? Yeah, they can get it on any of the major booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, uh, I'll have it available. So online do you have, Where's your social media? Do you have a website or can people reach out to you if they have any additional uh, They can go to my uh, uh, Discovery Institute. Uh, Discovery.org has some websites that are related to me. One's DarwinToHitler.com, which is about my earlier book. Uh, and then they have a new one on DarwinianRacism.com uh, also about my newest book that's published by Discovery Press. Uh, I, I, I also have my university website, so you can go to my university website and get my email or contact information there uh, if you're interested in uh, getting in contact with me. And then it's Richard Weikart, last name spelled W-E-I-K-A-R-T. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to tell I don't know if we said what my university was. I, I'm at California State University Stanislaus. I thought I mentioned that in the intro. California yeah, you may State have. University. I don't remember. It's okay. California State University, Stanislaus, Richard Weikart, and the book we talked about today. Excellent book. Really, just I learned so much reading this book. So I'm, I'm really delighted you wrote it. Title is Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich, published 2016. Author and professor is Richard Weikart. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. Stay there. Stay there.